0: Let's listen together for God's word as it echoes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, beginning with the first verse. At that very time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. Jesus asked them, Do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 that were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, Do you think that they were worse offenders than all others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then Jesus told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, see here, for three years I've come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? The gardener replied, sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good, but if not, you can cut it down. This is the word of God. For you, the people of God, thanks be to God. For the past two decades, scientists at the Kitt Peak Observatory in the Arizona desert have been tracking an asteroid that will pass within 20,000 miles of the Earth on April 13th, 2029. Now 20,000 miles is, is pretty darn close in spatial terms. Seven years later though, in 2036, that same chunk of rock will have completed another lap around the sun and boomerang back at us. On this second pass, it's going to get even Closer. Initially, astronomers estimated that this hefty asteroid, it weighs 50 billion pounds, had about a 2% chance of hitting the Earth. Should it make contact, they warned, the impact would be catastrophic. To emphasize this, to to draw our attention to this distant threat, scientists named the object Apophis. Apophis is the Greek name for the Egyptian god Apep, the deity responsible for unleashing chaos and destruction on the world. Now, before you add Apophis to your list of reasons as to why this really does feel like the end times, I have some good news. Scientists have now revised the chance that Apophis will hit the Earth to zero. So you can check, obsess over incredibly destructive asteroid off your to-do list. One less thing to worry about. On the other hand, I do have some bad news, sad news really this morning. And it goes like this, a whole lot of people in this hard knock world actually do wonder if God is a destroyer, if God is out to get them. Every week I encounter people Smart people, faithful people, good people, people who are battling illness, people experiencing turbulence in their their families or in their careers, people mourning the death of a beloved spouse who wonder if they've done something to deserve their hardship who wonder if if God was responsible for the giant rock that came crashing into their lives, smashing their hopes to smithereens. Does God destroy? Our reading for this third Sunday in Lent starts with this question. In Luke 13, the disciples and others are, are sitting around a campfire when someone asks Jesus, hey, did you hear about those people in Galilee who were worshiping, who were, who were singing psalms in their synagogue when Pontius Pilate had them all killed? They, they say that by the time it was over, you couldn't tell whether the blood on the floor belonged to the sacrificial lamb or to the congregation. It was awful, just awful, listening nodding, Jesus gives voice to the theological questions that hang in the air whenever people tell terribly tragic stories. Why does stuff like this happen? Why do bad things happen to good people? Did did those worshipers deserve to perish? In today's text, Jesus puts questions like this right out there on the table. Do you think that those poor people suffered a a horrible fate because they were somehow extra sinful? Friends, Jesus says, that makes no sense. God didn't whisper the plans for the massacre in Pilate's ear. Still, Christ continues, just because God isn't a sadistic nut doesn't mean God isn't interested in change. Repent, says Jesus, or you'll end up like those folk. What? Sensing confusion, Jesus quickly offers another example. Did you hear about those 18 people who were killed when when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? That was pretty doggone awful too. Do do you think God gave the tower a nudge and, and, and crushed those folk because they were super sinful? No, Jesus replies. That's not how it works. God doesn't topple buildings on people as punishment. Still that doesn't mean that God isn't interested in change. Repent, says Jesus, or you'll end up like those folk. This passage can give a person theological whiplash. (laughs) First, Jesus says, God is not a sadistic cosmic punisher, And then he says, if you don't repent, you will perish. What is going on here? Is God going to zap us for our sins or not? A couple of years ago, a woman outside of a grocery store handed a bright yellow religious track to my wife, Amy. Evidently, Amy looked like her soul needed saving because the track was entitled This could be your last five minutes alive. The pamphlet begins cheerily enough by explaining that three people around the world die every second. 900 people die every five minutes. Sooner or later, says the tract, your final five minutes will come. So the question is this, where are you going? You have a choice, says the tract. Heaven or hell, if your choice is hell, the tract continues, in a sort of sarcastic way, do nothing. You've already done enough. (laughs) If, however, you choose heaven, then you must do several things. And one of these things, says the tract, is repent. Now that track is a snarky and effective bit of manipulation. It employs a hackneyed, been around forever, tactic for scaring people into belief. Your time is limited. Hell's fires are burning hot. Take action now, right now, to avoid a terrible fate. And that isn't, of course, how Jesus operates. That isn't what Jesus is talking about when he says, repent or you will perish. Is it? Well, (laughs) on one level, Jesus and the tract actually do agree about a few things. Both emphasize the importance of repentance. All people should turn away from sin, and pursue things that make for life. On this, Jesus and the tract concur. Both also assert that our time on earth is limited. You never know when a tower might fall on your head, and some mortician will have a second date to chisel on your tombstone. Time for repentance, says the tract, says Jesus. Is now. At this juncture, however, the tract and Jesus diverge. Each sketches a very different picture of what repentance looks like. The tract describes repentance as a sort of mental act. Pray, believe in Jesus, check off the Christ is my savior box in your brain and you won't fall through a trap door into the fiery pits of hell. Jesus describes the process of salvation in starkly different terms. The destruction you see all around us, Christ tells the disciples, is not authored by God. God God is not Apophis, some rock-throwing destroyer. Still, Jesus says, the horrors around us are an indication that something's wrong. God is calling you to repent, to to turn and follow a different path. Now, what might that look like? To answer, Jesus tells the disciples a parable. It goes like this. A property owner is out surveying his garden when he comes across a barren fig tree. The owner calls his gardener over. Hey, the fig tree that I planted some three years ago isn't bearing any fruit. Cut it down. It's a waste of soil, a waste of space. Go get an ax. Hearing this, the gardener The one who spends his days caring for the trees and the land soothes the owner. He asks for a reprieve. Sir, allow me a bit more time. I'll dig around its roots. I'll put compost on it. I'll prune back the dead branches. If next year comes around and it's not blooming, then you can ask me to cut it down. Here, the difference between the tract and Jesus crystallizes. The tract says, you must decide your eternal destiny and you have almost no time. God is holding an axe. Cast your vote for heaven or hell now. On the other hand, Jesus says nothing here about heaven or hell, nor does he suggest that repentance is a snap decision. Repentance is a process. Turning toward God takes time. It takes time for our heads to clear and for us to remember who we are and to whom we belong. Jesus describes it like this. Picture yourself as a fruit tree, a fig tree. Now, fig trees exist to bear good fruit life-sustaining comestibles for the wider community so how's that going for you are there figs on your branches not so much well my friend i have good news for you says jesus the world's gardener is here standing alongside you, pleading for you, tilling the soil around you, doing everything possible to call forth blossoms and fruit from your branches. As Jesus tells it, the life of faith is not a one-and-done decision made in the parking lot of a supermarket. It's discovering that the world is God's garden. It's learning to see the Creator's hand in the soil around us. It's growing, each of us growing despite the droughts and the insects and the wildfires under a steward's tender care. It's pursuing light and life every five minutes, every day, every year that passes by. It's seeking to bear good fruit with whatever time we're given. Last Sunday, Yale Divinity School professor Miroslav Volf spoke by phone to one of his former students, Fyodor Reichenitz. Reichenets is a pastor in Kyiv, Ukraine. He's also a professor at the Ukrainian Evangelical Theological Seminary. The seminary is located about 20 kilometers northwest of downtown Kiev. It lies along a highly contested corridor in this war. In the past two weeks, the seminary has been shelled three times. Most of the campus has been destroyed. The professor's office and his library burned. This past week I listened to a recording of the call between Wolf and Pastor Reichenitz. They spoke in the evening, Ukraine time, after the professor had returned to his apartment, having spent the day feeding the elderly, the sick, weary soldiers, and women and children stuck in basements without electricity, people without clean water, Without medication, and increasingly without a clear idea of how any of this will end for them. How can you go on doing this? Wolf asked. How are you not crushed by sadness? Sometimes, Reichenitz responded, in the face of it all, making a difference seems impossible. But then, as I lie in my bed thinking this, I get a call from someone asking for news or for, for some help. And you go. You go because someone needs your presence, your heart. And maybe you didn't even know this person before the war started, but you go because God has laid these people on your heart. Every day, Pastor Reichenitz posts a short reflection on Facebook that begins with the words, war is. On day seven, he wrote, war is when the most vulnerable suffer. It's when ordinary things become impossible, going to the store and buying fresh, warm, and fragrant Ukrainian bread is impossible. I've I visited about 70 countries, the pastor writes, but I've never eaten such delicious bread. But war is when you meet people who haven't eaten any bread for four or five days, not to mention anything else. Last Sunday, on day 20, he wrote, war is when your understanding changes it's when not in theory but in practice you appreciate the moment the here and now and you learn to live it more consciously bad things happen out there says jesus terrible things dictators slaughter innocent people Buildings fall on families sheltering from bombs. Awful things happen in the world, says Jesus, that were not authored by God. In the face of these evil acts, Jesus asks, what choice do you have? On hearing that that Pontius Pilate murdered people who were worshiping in their local synagogue, what choice do you have? You can lie in bed, and question the goodness of God, or you can listen to the voice of the one calling us to live in the here and now, the one challenging us to bear good fruit in the face of every sort of evil. You know the one I'm talking about, the gardener whose care for us knows no end, the holy one who is forever Digging around our roots, pruning our branches, and optimistically muttering, maybe, maybe this is the year there will be figs. You may rise again as you're able and hear the benediction. Go forth into God's garden, my friends, with Christ's peace in your heart have courage hold fast to what is good do not return evil for evil strengthen the faint hearted support the weak help the suffering honor all people love and serve the lord amen